Welcome back, everyone. I'm sure some of you are new, but if you've been with me for a little bit, you might know that I've taken a break from the show for the past couple of weeks. It was really nice to spend some time working on other things and spending some time with my family this summer. And if you are indeed new, let me introduce myself. My name is Chris, and you're listening to Chefs Without Restaurants, the show where I speak with culinary entrepreneurs and people working in the food and beverage industry outside of a traditional restaurant setting. For my full-time job, I work as a personal chef doing dinners and events in the Washington, D.C. area. Today is the start of what I'm calling Season 5, and my guest is Brad Leone. You might know Brad from his time at the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. As more of the digital magazines and online media conglomerates started to create more and more video food content, Bon Appetit also wanted to follow suit. In 2016, the It's Alive series with Brad Leone debuted. Video content continued to grow, and in late 2018, Brad transitioned from his role as test kitchen manager to focusing exclusively on creating videos. But Brad has since left Bon Appetit, and in June, he launched two new shows on his own YouTube channel. One is called Making It, and the other one is Local Legends. I don't want to talk too much about it here in the intro because we're obviously going to spend a lot of time talking about it on the show. We also talk about cooking on camera, fermentation, and fermentation safety, and the art of storytelling and helping others tell their story. And before we start the show, I just want to say thanks for taking the time to check out this episode. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and you could easily be spending your time in many other ways, so I really appreciate it. My only ask from you this week is that if you enjoyed the episode, or the show in general, please share it with someone. I'll be promoting this episode on social media, so if you see the post maybe on Instagram, just share it to your story. Or if nothing else, be that annoying person at a party who likes to tell people about their favorite podcast. And the show is also made possible with the help of my sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by the United States Personal Chef Association. So stick around. The show will begin right after a brief word from the USPCA. Are you a personal chef looking for support and growth opportunities? Look no further than the United States Personal Chef Association. With nearly 1,000 members across the U.S. and Canada, USPCA provides liability insurance, certification, lead generation, and more. Consumers can trust that their meal experience is insured and supported by USPCA. And now, for a limited time, save $75 on new membership and get your premier listing on Hire a Chef by using the code TAXBREAK2023 at USPCA.com. That's capital T, capital B. Plus, if you have products or services to sell chefs and their clients, showcase your business on Hire a Chef and USPCA websites with our great introductory packages. To learn more about membership, advertising, or partnership opportunities, call Angela at 1-800-995-2138, extension 705, or email A-P-R-A-T-H-E-R at USPCA.com. Hey, Brad. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. So before we get going, I have to ask, just how much caffeine do you consume before a video shoot? It's funny. You're the second person to ask me that. I must give off that vibe. Um, I don't really, I definitely don't consume caffeine before uh, a video. Um, I'm actually kind of sensitive to it. I take, I have two cups of coffee in the morning and then that's it. I'm not a caffeine throughout the day kind of guy as much as my um, obnoxious energy levels might steer you in the other direction. Just a lust for life and a general excitement for the day. I don't know. Maybe it's, I mean, I'm not always like that. I'm, I can also be, I'm kind of, 
you know, a little more reserved as well but when I'm by myself and a little bit more like introverted. I kind of play, plays the wrong word, but I kind of live in both worlds. Myself, you know, as well, I've always identified as an introvert. And now people say, well, you're not an introvert. You've got a podcast, you interview people, you go out and you do cooking lessons in front of groups. But, you know, I think there's different ways to be an introvert or extrovert. It's kind of draining for me. Like once I get done with an interview or something, it's like I kind of just want to chill out by myself for a little bit. Yeah, big time. I'm kind of like that with with videos, too. I guess it's, I mean, it's a very unnatural thing, right? And maybe I just, maybe unconsciously, that's me turning on on a camera, even though I'm kind of, it's not really turning on because when I'm in that mo- mood, I it doesn't matter if there's a, it's kind of just a personality. But I guess that side of my personality comes out more when the camera's on, thankfully, because otherwise it would probably be a little sad and boring. Well, and that's the whole new thing about you know food and cooking, especially in the you know modern day media space, because it's entertainment, right? Like people are tuning in to learn about food and cooking, but they also want to be entertained. I feel like you have to be, well, you don't have to, but like videos that are also funny and entertaining as well as educational, I think do really well. And that's something that brings the people in. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, especially in the platform like YouTube, right? Where it's like, I mean, again, you don't have to do anything, but it behooves you to post once a week, if not more, something like that. I mean, whatever your your vibe is. And, and you're 100% right. I mean, like, I'm by no means an expert in anything, never claim to be. Um, I don't have a laundry list of credentials explaining why I'm the best at something. I never, like, again, never said I was. I'm just the same as the people who are watching, you know. Um, I'm just interested in food. I like people. I like the universal language of food and art and music and how they can all kind of come together. And how they are kind of similar in ways. Uh, but yeah, it is entertainment. And, and I try my best to, you know, flirt with both worlds of entertainment. I don't want to say education, but in a way, yeah, right. Just kind of showing learning with people as I, you know, whether I'm doing something I'm familiar with or learning something in real time in front of a camera. A lot of the times that I make a, a video, I don't like cookie through i don't like work it a bunch it's not something that i've nailed down i don't i want what i want my shows to have is is that human element of cooking it's not all clean i've done those you know i've done plenty of no mistakes highly zippered up highly edited highly produced uh videos which are fun and fine but i also like to have a little fun with it and kind of make it relatable you know like accidents happening and whether or not some shows or some you know especially in tv show that um People go and follow you, say they watch my video and it's perfect. Everything's perfect. And then they go, oh, and they're going to have a different experience. And, you know, I don't care what you say, you know, like any chef will tell you, you screw things up. You have to be able to kind of adjust and move on the fly a little bit, unless you're like making croissants or something like cooking for me it is, is very, and maybe it's just because of experience and, and love for it, but it's, it's kind of guided by a foundation of of techniques that I've acquired throughout the years and then just um, intuition, you know, cooking, cooking from this, from the gut. Well, and for people who don't cook a lot, I think it can be intimidating. And I've talked to a lot of guests about this. And again, like showing mistakes that someone like you makes mistakes, I think is really helpful because people say to me all the time, well, you know, I'm not a professional chef and they get all, especially like if they're cooking for me or something, if I'm coming over for dinner, they get really nervous. It's like, well, I I screw up things all the time, you know? So I think it's good to kind of leave that stuff in. Yeah, absolutely. And back to that, just making it approachable as much as, uh, as you can. And, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, my my wife, you know, she kind of sings the same song a bit, like, and I'm always like, babe, you could make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's like, if someone makes you, there's something special about someone just preparing a meal or food for you. Like, I'm not picky. I'm not a food snob. I'm not going to say, you know, these, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the act of, of cooking. And I tell people all the time, my wife included, you're a better cook than you let yourself be. You're a better cook than you tell yourself you're not. You know, don't overthink it. You're just making a steak with a salad or, you know what I'm saying? It's as simple as it is and as easy as it is to take something that simple and really screw it up. At the same time, I think a lot of folks really kind of scare themselves into, I don't like cooking. Yeah. And to be able to wing it a little bit, that's another thing I talk about is, you know, the the intuition or just the, you know, freestyling, try a new spice. Like people are quite often too scared to try something new. Like they have never worked with, I don't know, Razel Hanout or something like that. It's like, well, just go buy a little at the store, try it a bunch of stuff. If you don't like it, no big deal. Play around with it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. No, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey and my folks, they cooked every, you know, I always had a, a meal cooked, you know, it wasn't the best ingredients. My mom, blah, blah, you know, whatever was on sale, you know, it was probably clearance at the supermarket Purdue chicken. But point being, she took the time and cooked it and we all sat down and we ate together. And that's kind of where it was embedded in me of just the, the joy of cooking and eating or <clears throat> preparing food for, for friends and family. And then also eating. I mean, that's not to say I really like eating, you know, I really like food. And, and that's kind of where it all started for me to, <clears throat> to get into, into food. Me too. I have a similar background. Uh, well, I'd say you're probably best known for your time at the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. Uh, your show, It's Alive, started in what, like 2016 or so? Yeah, Bon Appetit was really where I got started in the food media world. Um, growing up, I worked in like delis and kind of, you know, the ski resort restaurants, like deep fryer type of stuff. And, you know, just, just more like food service and less like nice food. But I did learn the work ethic of working in a kitchen and what that meant before Food Network rock starred it all and made it people, and I went to culinary school, but like yeah, people would get into, and I saw it when I went to culinary school, they would see this glorified chef life on TV and be like, man, I want to be a chef. But the reality of it and the lessons that I learned when I was working at those, you know, resort hotel type of restaurants or, or a really busy deli, was that that's not it. You know what I mean? It's it's nights and weekends. It's hard work on your feet, low pay. No one gives a shit. And and you got to do it again every day. And I mean, people that are chefs that do work in restaurants are some of the hardest working people. I mean, sure, you're cooking, right? You're not like roofing a house, but it's just a, it's a different type of it's a different type of hard work. There's no doubt about it. And to think that you're going to go to culinary school and come out and be Gordon Ramsay or whoever, you know, turned you on to that. Uh, it's just not a reality. But I went to a culinary school in Manhattan, and that's really where I saw a lot of people come in. Uh, and again, I had no idea what I wanted to do, or I, I got lucky in ways. Man, say there was 50 people in that class, I'd be surprised if 10 were in the food business still. Same. Like, I went to Johnson & Wales, and like when I talk to my friends or I see people on Facebook, it's like nobody's in the food industry anymore. A very small amount. Yeah, I would say because it's incredibly hard, and and it's not what they a lot of people thought they were getting into. You know, like, it's it's hard. Especially you jump into something like New York and then go, you know, jump into some crazy restaurants there where they're cranking out 
an insane amount of tops every night and the chefs yelling. And I worked at the Standard Grill while I was going to here in uh, in the Meat in Chelsea in, in Manhattan. And uh, I remember, and it was fine. I learned a lot there, but it was just wasn't one of the one thing I definitely learned there more than anything was that I, and not to talk trash on this place because it was, it's, it's a great restaurant. It's fine. But it was not the style of a kitchen that I like to, I did not want to work in that. I don't need someone yelling at me. I don't need someone throwing pots and pans, this big old school spectacle brigade fashion uh, of cooking was not it for me. It, it turned me off. It turned me off to restaurants. It made me not want to do that. Um, not that all restaurants are like that, because they're certainly not. And I feel like that paradigm has certainly shifted into a more calm, collective, healthy atmosphere um, that isn't just, you know, screaming and yelling and, and doing drugs and drinking after, you know what I mean? Like the old school New York or and even around the whole world, you know, kind of restaurant life, life type of lifestyle. And I'm really glad that it seems to have gotten a much more respectable, diversified and uh, and healthy place to work. And I mean, like it, it really showcased that creatively I go and some people thrive in that. They like that. And it becomes that camaraderie and that energy, but it made me not want to cook. It made me not want to make 85 pasta dishes in an hour. It made me want to just say the hell with this, you know, don't freak you. Don't yell at me because you didn't even teach me how to do this yet. Like, what are you yelling at? And that's where I was working at the standard grill when I was going to school because, you know, I had a, I, I needed to pay my rent and I needed money and school was not, you know, the school cost you money. There was this one guy, older guy, and he was running the fry station. I wish I remembered his name because he was like my my favorite person there. Just he was like the only one that was cool. You know, he just he all he wanted to do was go surf and he was like this older Mexican guy and he was he was incredible. And um I remember telling him one day, I was like, Man, I'm 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 in this culinary school. And, you know, everyone but him made fun of me. Brad, you're wasting your money. What the hell are you doing that for? You know what I mean? Like, if you want to learn how to be a chef, just start here. And in a way, they're they're right. But I was like, listen, man, I'm I'm not trying to do what you're doing. You know, naive ambitious me was like i want to go work for like unilever or or or, and and like develop flavor ice creams like there's so many cool jobs behind in the food industry since it's so big that you know aren't just working the line i mean turns out those food those people are food scientists and have doctorates and stuff and i was very not going to get that job but i do remember saying to that to that one guy i mean there's got to be something cool like food and wine or bon appetit test kitchens where they're just you know creating recipes for the magazine and you know, this is before video and really before any you know print was still kind of king for for Condé Nast and Bon Appetit at that time I remember saying to him I'm gonna I want to go work for that and I did my everyone did internships out of school I like big restaurants you know with big big famous chefs and stuff and I was like I'm gonna go work I'm gonna see if Bon Appetit will give me an internship and I got lucky and they did and they um you know, I was the oldest intern they ever had. I think it was like 28 at the time. And everyone else was like, great, coming in was like right out of high school. And I had this whole other life already, you know. And um, I think they were refreshed by my personality and work ethic. You know, I wasn't coming in thinking I was going to style the cover. I was like, I'll wa- I'll do anything. I'll wash. I was a glorified dishwasher and I couldn't be happier. You know what I mean? I was getting paid. I was working Monday through Friday, and it wasn't, we weren't doing the same shit every day. It was amazing. I was learning. Most importantly, I was learning. I was seeing new ingredients. I was trying new things. That's really where I was exposed to different types of cuisines and ingredients and techniques and people. And I'll be forever grateful for that because it really helped kind of turn the light onto a path that I didn't know 
existed. And that was all praise still. And that was me being test kitchen assistant and helping run the test kitchen, being test, ki uh, test kitchen manager. And then eventually video started to happen. You know, uh, it was all short videos, 15 seconds on Facebook. No one wants to watch anything for two minutes, Brad. Everyone's going to, everyone wants to skip that. You know, just give them fast, clean overhead, hands and pans. And we did that for a while. And like YouTube wasn't a thing. I wasn't on social media, nothing like that. And then it just, they wanted to like get into, I think they were honestly playing catch up to other, probably BuzzFeed at the time, you know, who was doing like trying different things and taking different risks. And long story short, they, um, they put a camera, they told this one guy, Vinny at the time, they're like, just Brad's always down in the test kitchen doing fun things. He's always got projects going, just go follow him around. And the first video we shot was kombucha. And I was like, guys, we, we can't put this out. I look like an, I, I'm trying not to curse. I have, I have no, you can mouth. curse. This but show's I, totally fine. I was like, you can't put this out, man. This this is a piece of shit. You know, like this video, I look like an asshole. The, the kombucha looks like trash. I'm spilling things on the ground. I look sloppy. I don't I don't like it. And <laughs> well, they put it out. Well, they sat on a hard drive for a year and they edited it up and I was like, oh, whatever, guys, fine. We shot a few more and I was like, let's put it out. It's not, it's not, it's not that bad. I just, they, but they were like poking fun at me and the way it was edited kind of, and I'm not mad at it because it worked, but like it kind of leaned in on, uh, jab it at me and uh as i started to experiment more and that started to organically become more popular there was such a good group of people in the kitchen when that started that uh before you know it it kind of turned into a hive of a bunch of different youtube shows and, and people and uh and that's kind of where it all started for me getting into video um and now i mean i'm super stoked i'm out i left new york almost three years ago now and um just just this june i started my own youtube show uh shows it's a channel bradley Elney on youtube and um the one show is called local legends and the others making it and yeah so local legends is like a show where we're out in the world that's showcasing things from you know kind of like what we were talking about before a little bit like instead of it all i don't i hardly interview chefs or go tell the, the yeah. story of a chef unless i'm really interested in it and it's really but like basically chefs there's plenty of people doing chef stuff right like what about the guy who grows amazing carrots? Absolutely. Raising chickens or you name it, you know, growing sugar kelp up in Maine, which is a video we did with Atlantic Sea Farm. Like those are the stories I want to tell. The thing is that we kind of take for granted on the, when we go and get that really awesome meal at a restaurant from our chef, from a chef, you know? So how did you choose uh, who you wanted to highlight on that show? Were they people you had already known of uh, or did you have to start doing kind of like a lot of research to figure out who those were going to be i mean luckily doing working with bon appetit and in the test kitchen i was exposed to a lot of people and a lot of places and a lot of things and and the internet's amazing i mean the community of people who are engaging in wanting to be a part of stuff and wanting to do stuff and there's just so many stories out there honestly creative isn't the problem it's it's production. I mean, it's time and money. I mean, I we have I have a million ideas and stories that we could showcase. It's just you know putting it all together and doing it and and editing it. And you know, I have a really awesome team now. Lady Hobson, who lives in Brooklyn, and uh, a buddy of mine, Ian, who I met on a photo shoot uh, up. In, he was up in, in Rhode Island, and those they're they're my camera people. And uh, Hobson is the editor as well. And we're just, uh, we're doing, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. We put out a few episodes already and those are the early ones. We're already like, I feel like we're already getting way better. It's like anything, you know, I kind of compare it to a band, you know, like we're really just finding our voice and our, and our rhythm and our styles out. And, uh, 
And I couldn't be prouder. I'm stoked on it. And that's the local legend one where, where it's travel. It's not at my, at my house, right? So like the other show, Making It, which is a blast, is I, had, I moved up to coastal Connecticut uh, on the border of Rhode Island, right, right outside of Mystic, Connecticut, an old 1750s farm and a farmhouse. And there was this building there. It was like a three-car garage that was, you know, stone floor or whatever. And over the past two years, I, was, I, was, I fixed it up and renovated it and turned it into a studio, into a kitchen, um, into like a, a, just a really great place to be able to cook and experiment and have guests. That's where we cook. That's where we'll, we'll bake bread. We'll grow things in the garden. We can do whatever we want. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's great about it. Um, but cooking projects, we're still going to do a lot of fermentation. Uh, we have guests up to that, to the studio when it makes sense. And one of my favorite things about the two shows is, so Saber Out, we're local legends and we're, we're showcasing you, Chris, you're a fisherman. Um, you know, you, you do this amazing job handling fish, catching fish, yada, yada. So we go down there and instead of cramming, and I did this my entire career so far, and I feel like most people do do it and maybe I'm wrong. I don't care. It's what I want to do. I'm not trying to cram a cooking segment into what you're doing because you're not cooking. You're catching fish and there's so much depth and interest in that and a story worth showcasing. I don't want to dilute it. And again, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't want to dilute it with also cramming a, a cooking thing in there because in order to fit, because we're not making an hour long documentary, right? It's a 15 minute video. And in order to get that 30% of your video, which is now going to be a cooking segment into this, I have to cut a lot of gems out that I'd love not to. Yeah. Now you're like with their trout that they caught or whatever, like making your trout almondine out in the woods or something. Uh, we've all it's seen It's becoming about me and what I can do with it instead of what I'm here to. And that showcase what you're doing. So we can learn about that trout. We can learn about that person and what they're doing and all that. And then I can say, tune in next week to my show, Making It, where we're going to take this trout that Chris caught and handled, and I'm going to bring it back to the studio. I'm going to show you a way that I like to prepare it. So, and then I can take time and do that properly that way, you know? So Making It, your first video that came out, you were doing sauerkraut. Uh, yeah. You also did sauerkraut way back in the early days of It's Alive. So what is this bond with sauerkraut? Why did you want to do another sauerkraut video? A, because it's, I, I always tell people when it comes to fermentation, start with a kraut, start with something like that. Cabbage is just the base. And this was a, the first one I did you know, years ago with Bon Appetit was just a straight cabbage uh, sauerkraut. And it was great. This one, same type of principle, but we added some cucumbers to it, I, I believe. And maybe even some ramps. I forget exactly what we did. But I think it might have just been cucumbers and sauerkraut. And I just love it because it's, it's, it's for me and my family, it's just a staple food that like say you have a, a plate of rice and vegetables and and, and chicken i also have a scoop of, of a fermented vegetable like a sauerkraut and it's just a it's a fun way to fold in other types of vegetables and fruits and and stuff like that into it so you have your your very base sauerkraut recipe super simple literally anyone can do it and it'll cost you a dollar fifty and then you can riff off of that back before to like cooking you have a foundation and once you understand that principle, you can work out being scared of fermentation or what it is and kind of just get a, a feel for it. Then you can start experimenting. Then you can start fooling around with it and doing different things, try you know different recipes, try different ferments. And um, I, I just like it because it's approachable, it's delicious, and it's a great starting point for, for folks that want to get into it. And I think cooking should be fun. Cooking video should be fun. You're clearly 
both knowledgeable and entertaining, but how do you balance keeping the show light, maybe even a bit goofy, but still stressing like importance of sanitation and safety, especially with something like fermentation? I think, you know, especially for people who've never done fermentation, there's a lot of questions. I myself, when I was getting into like making kombucha, was like, uh, is this how it's supposed to go? So am I, I going to die? Right. I mean, it's yeah. a big mystery. I mean, it's because it is scary and it goes against what modern society and culture, especially in the United States, has kind of scared us to believe. I mean, let's face it, if fermentation was, and I'm not going to belittle you know, uh, uh, the, the sanitation and food, you do have to know what you're doing, especially with certain things, right? And you can get sick and you certainly could, you know, your foodborne illnesses are, are a very real thing. I'm definitely not trying to downplay that. But what I am saying is if it was that dangerous, we would all be dead. Because we've been doing it for a very, very long time. People who didn't have soap, who didn't give, didn't even know what the hell microorganisms essentially were, let alone the bad stuff that was causing it. But they were dialed in, and they knew through trial and error. And you know, our our, our ancestors did. They paved the road, and it's in it's embedded. I think people are, are more designed to consume and be a part of fermentation than that maybe some believe you know like our guts are literally designed for it processed food is inherently more dangerous in theory and bad for us than fermented foods right like who knows what the long-term effects of eating bags of cheetos are oh it can't be good <laughs> none, none of those things can be good you know what i mean and not to go down that rabbit hole and the old cliche of, you know, if it looks like polyphenomolosuvoglycolosum, you probably don't need it in your in your fried potato stick. You know what I mean? Like whatever happened to just, you know, fat in the potato or a little salt preservative to say, yeah, they scare the hell out of me. And fermentation, it was a product of necessity, right? It was pre-refrigeration. How do we get 50 cabbages that we grew to A, last longer, but then also taste better and taste different and in return, also be very good for our health and our gut, right? I mean, it's really, I mean, I'm really just on the tip of it. You know, I'm that, that rabbit hole of information. There's people, I mean, that are far more smarter and informative when it comes. If you want to really go deep on fermentation, you, you don't really need to hang out with me too, too, too much. I'm just as curious as everybody else is. I don't have a food science background. I don't have a microscope. I don't, you know what I'm saying? But I do have, like I said, a lot of folks kind of, there's a lot of information out there. And if you do your own research and don't rely on other people to just teach you, but do your own research and get involved in a community that knows what they're doing, or hell, go talk to an old person who's been, you know, an old an old lady who's been making kimchi or sauerkraut if you're lucky enough to meet someone Burying or know someone like that. in the like backyard, that. right? Like, isn't that kimchi? Didn't they just like put it in crocs and bury it in the yard? Absolutely. Throw in an oyster in it, you know, and like, and just pick some brains, get involved in it. I mean, I'll I'll be doing more, and there's a ton of information and, and, and people online that are. It, there's a community, and it's it's absolutely amazing, and it's really the the birthplace, and I think that where umami came from, right? I think fermentation is the the father or the mother of um, of umami, right? That 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 depth, that sense, that that lactic acid, that amino acidity type of of town you got like like you, it's delicious it's a little funky it's a little weird but like you, you, you for some reason crave it and you want it and it gives that death now people are messing with koji as well it's like the next step of the fermentation it's like they've got the basics down and now you see all these people you know doing their own koji at home and making koji charcuterie and all kinds of stuff it's it's really been interesting to watch 
Yeah, exactly. But meanwhile, there's families in Asia who have been doing it for thousands of years. I mean, it's literally nothing new. It's the complete opposite. Going back to the test kitchen stuff, you know, we kind of talked about how hard the industry is and all this. And I think a lot of people don't want to work in restaurants, but want to work in culinary. Um, so they're thinking of things like the test kitchen. But that is also incredibly hard, I imagine. Is it not? You know, I don't want people to think like, oh, I don't want to work 90 hours a week in a restaurant. So I'm going to work at a test kitchen, which is always so fun and interesting and not that hard. So can you pull the curtain back a little bit on what it's like to work in a test kitchen, especially at the level of Bon Appetit? Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely difficult, you know, and a lot of folks had it a lot harder than I did as videos started to take off and I could just focus on that. But yeah, developing recipes and and really just like working. Yeah, it's hard as hell, man. Like you got to, it's easy to cook, right? But it's not easy to have a bulletproof recipe that someone who is a recipe follower, it's got to work, man. And it's got to, it's got to work well. And what you write has to make sense. And your ingredient list and your instructions have to make sense. It has to work. And it is challenging. And it was a, a real testing process amongst each other and the coworkers and our peers and bouncing ideas off of each other and just workshopping things. You know, and some were easy and some were hard. And definitely not an easy job, just better hours. Now, are you testing all the recipes that come from restaurant chefs like the, you know, the hot new restaurants issue comes out and it's got it's got recipes from all these chefs, but you guys are testing them all yourself in the kitchen? I've been speaking from for Bon Appetit and I don't think every publication, every food magazine did this. In fact, I kind of know they didn't, but Bon Appetit would, and I don't know if they still do, but I'm assuming they do. They would test every single recipe and they would cross test every single recipe. So not only the person who is developing it or working through it, but once they were happy with it and done, then they would have a fresh person, uh, an editor or uh, whomever uh, who was working or or, or in, the, in the test kitchen, cook through it one last time, look for bugs, follow it like you were a reader and uh, and just make sure that it actually does work. That really turned me on. I, I really dug that process of it where we could slow things down. You know, there wasn't a whole board of tickets and I wasn't freaking out. And it wasn't like, sure, it was stressful at times, but it was a different a different type of energy and a different type of cooking that I found um, that, that I liked. Did you ever find it tedious to test the same recipe over and over and it just felt like you were working on this one dish for so long? Or did you enjoy that? Yeah, I mean, there were certainly times where like, there was a recipe where you're like, once it was done, you're like, everyone was like, thank God, see you later. Like, no one wants to make Queen of Mon again for 10 years. But, you know, yeah, it, it, it was it was up and down as far as um, uh, difficulty of stuff there. But, uh, yeah, really, really awesome experience. And um, I was really fortunate to be able to work there when, when I did. Yeah, I worked for Sodexo in one of their units, but we have the test kitchen by where I am. And I had the opportunity to go with a small team one time for a week. And I had no idea, you know, like they wanted us to create new dishes for their database, which goes out to the whole world. Right. So yeah. like, I was making crab cakes and I think I spent 
you know, the whole week on that. It's like you're you're doing a four ounce cake, a three ounce cake. You're doing it at 350, 375, 400. It's like finish with the broil. I'm like, oh my God, oh, yeah. I'm spending eight hours a day for five days making one dish. Um, it Dial sucks. back, let's do a quarter yeah. teaspoon instead of a half a teaspoon. And, and then the, the scaling, because we were in large production. So we had to test it at the, you know, four crab cake level, but for business dining where they're going to make 400, like, what does that look like? Oh, the old base skewered like way off. You can't go from like a quarter teaspoon in four up to a gallon in 400, <laughs> just, you know? So like we had to see like where that break point was, where it started to get funky. It was interesting, but I don't know that I could do that all the time. Yeah, no, that's what we never had to do like big scales like that, but I could see that not translating as just simple math when it comes to, like you said, with the old bay, like at a tablespoon, it's cool, but all of a sudden it's, it's a gallon and it's like, people are going to die. Once you start putting like things like sesame oil, I had cooks all the time at the place I was working. You're like, what happened? Like, well, you know, we scaled the recipe up. I'm like, did you like, did you taste it? There needs to taste and, it. And yeah. that comes down to like, uh, intuitive cooking and knowing some things like you kind of have to be able to read this recipe and say like, oh, I don't know if I should put three cups of sesame oil in this dish. Like, you know, go But easy. a lot of people don't, Chris. It's like, I, I know. you know, they go full Ron Burgundy. If it's on the screen, they're going to say it, man. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I've seen that more times than I can count. And yeah. Yeah. People go full nuclear on it and just, you know, even though it doesn't look right, why am I pouring a gallon of vegetable oil in this? But like recipe says it, you know? So like, yeah, having things you do have to keep into consideration that a lot of folks, you know, and I to each their own, a lot of folks do cook directly as the recipe says. And 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 that's fine. Did you ever have any notoriously challenging recipes that you worked on or or something that was particularly hard? I mean, I'd have to put a little thought into it. It's it just feels like so long ago. I know it yeah. wasn't, but like it kind of was because for the past the last three years at Bon Appetit, even a little bit more, I wasn't doing any recipe development anymore. I was full-time video. And that kind of happened. You know, it went from print and being a test kitchen where, and I was almost better that back then, you know, when it was just like, we were just doing recipes and we were just working on, not just, it was a lot, but it was a full-time job already. And then it became... Uh, uh, this like weird kitchen studio as well. And it worked, but then it, it didn't, you know what I mean? And like, it's hard to do both because at the end of the day, the folks that are doing the, the folks that are doing, I don't want to say the hard work, but the folks that are doing the recipes and cross testing everything and aren't in front of a camera still had to do all that. And meanwhile, there was a whole, you know, energy and, and distraction of shooting video in the same space. Um, so yeah, I, I could see that how that was probably, a ticking time bomb. Well, and that's, you know, kind of now thinking about where we're all at as it's like you almost have to be a content creator, regardless of what industry you're in. You know, I'm a personal chef and I don't have a team, but everyone's like, well, you got to be making videos. And, you know, it's really hard for me. Like I'm just prepping for this dinner, but I also feel like I need to have a tripod and a camera out or I'm at this yeah, dinner. Yeah, a TikTok and an Instagram and a YouTube page. and A hundred percent, you know, and that's exhausting. Yeah. And if you don't have the budget for that, like I don't really have the budget to hire a camera crew for that right now. Um, so like trying to do that myself and you, you kind of get burned out, but then you're like, oh, well, I guess like I make these videos and then more people see it and they hire me or there's new opportunities. But I feel like everyone has to be a content creator. And I do think it's starting to burn a lot of people out. Like if you're a one man show. 
I get, I'm blown away by all the time. Just looking on, you know, social media, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And, um, how many people are putting so much work into it? And I'm assuming they're like, they're not getting paid for it. It's just like a part of this cultural information sharing portal digital world that's awesome, but also kind of freaky. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's an interesting time, right? Um, I'm super grateful that I'm in a spot where I can, you know, and I am, you know, making a living and doing, uh, doing stuff that it seems like a lot of people would love to do and are trying to do and are doing. I mean, hell, let's face it, there's millions of people making awesome content. And, and as people, I'm always blown away with it because I'm a little bit, I mean, I'm not real old, but I'm kind of a little bit of a dinosaur in the, in that age. I mean, like I, I'm 38. You know, I was the last one on Instagram in, in, in my in my circles and at work and stuff. I, I was a, never thought I was going to be you know doing something on YouTube. I don't watch YouTube unless it's like how to take the screen off of my iPad or something. Like it's right. I, I love YouTube for how to do stuff, um, but I don't really consume much entertainment on it. And maybe that's a good thing. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know yet. Yeah, I was just talking about that with a guest last week about how if anything breaks, like I had a problem with my sliding door in my van and I just like went on YouTube. YouTube. It's like someone's got to show me how to like shut the automatic door off and fix this. What blows me away, Chris, is that someone actually made that video. Yes. Like some guy named Peter who's someone's dad who when he got the tools, he's like, oh, you know, what? I'm going to make a video about how to fix the roller on this sliding door because... Why? Why? And he's not trying to get famous. It's not like a repair channel. It's it's this weird phenomena of you can share your stuff on the internet. It's it's awesome. It's why TV is pivoting. It's why the world's changing, right? Like the ability to share so much information and tell your story for basically free. I mean, hell, you don't need a team to create something. You could just shoot it however you want, right? But as these channels get bigger, you know, like you, a lot of people have content teams. And I don't think everyone always realizes what goes into that as well. You know, I have young kids. They want to be YouTubers, of course. You know, when I was talking to someone the other day who has a, a popular YouTube channel and I asked, you know, I said, like, so you've got these this 10 minute video. How long did this take to make? Well, this one particular took seven months, right? Like with travel time and collab and stuff, it's like seven months to get a finished 10 minute video. It's not like he just grabbed his camera and his buddies. It took seven right. months of, of coordinating. That's a lot of work to get 10 minutes of content out of. Likely a lot of resources too. You know, I mean, like in, in the in the world of different tiers of it, I mean, back to your question before, like creative isn't the problem. It's like, how the hell am I going to, it has to make sense at the end of the day, it's not a hobby, right? Like we, we, it is a business, right? We do want to, I would love to, you know, not just do this as a, for free, you know what I mean? Like I would like to make money doing it, you know, and that's kind of where we're figuring stuff out as well too. Like the balance of production and, and overhead. I mean, like the show making it, I can, that one is a lot easier and cheaper for me to make. And it, it probably will even do better than, than local legends, you know? Um, because it is food and it is, it's approachable, but I'm never going to stop wanting to also make some of the, the, like local legends is, is expensive and it's hard to make. And it takes a bit of a lot of editing and a lot of, uh, pre-production and, you know, say we go to Maine, I gotta, you know, I am the production company. So I got to pay for lodging and meals and, you know, no one's working for free. Hell, no, no, nor should they, you know, it's not a charity. Um, I, as long as I can, I want to also be able to make 
those videos as well. If not only those videos. In a perfect world, I don't I would just I would love to just do that. You know what I mean? Like I don't Bourdain never and I'm no Bourdain, trust me, but like not that I need to tell you that. But um he never cooked a damn thing. Yeah. But I mean, I, I get the I get the Bourdain vibe from your show, though, that feel of like traveling and and meeting people because, I mean, he clearly kind of set the bar and the standard, right? Because prior to him, people weren't traveling around really highlighting places and people like he did. Uh, and there have been a few shows afterwards, but having watched the one with you, um, you know, I guess the only one you have now, uh, you know, you definitely get that feel. Thank you, man. Um, and man, like I said, we're, we're just getting better at it too and, and figuring it out and, uh, just kind of flirting with that, with that world of, I know folks do like the cooking and I like doing it as well. And I'm not going to stop doing it, but I do like, uh, exercising a muscle of storytelling and telling people stories. It can be in the food world or not, but just like a behind the scenes thing that we kind of, as a, as a civilization kind of take for often take for granted, you know, life's pretty easy now. For a lot of us, uh, you can go to a supermarket and or a store and get anything, you know, in almost one store, like, and not every little, you can go into any store and every ingredient, everything you touch. I would just want to follow those roads, you know, like how did it get here? Who did it? You know, like from the guys to, from the people loading up the the truck, this is a good show idea. Let's make it, Chris. Yeah, I'm down. To I'll like, co-host anything. Just showing like the, the food lines, you know, like where things come from. Well, but, and, and this is also a totally different skill set. You know, I moved from being a chef to being a podcast host, but my first shows were very much um, like tactical. How do you do this? You have a food truck operator on, he's going to tell you how to do that. Well, once you've done a couple of those shows, I don't need another food truck operator come tell you how to start that business. I need to tease out the stories from them. I need yeah. to interview them. And that was a whole different thing besides just sitting and saying, well, you know, what's your advice to starting a food truck? Now it's like, tell me about, you know, that time with your mother making hamburgers. Like how did that impact? And that's very yeah. different. And I had no training on that. So it's completely learning on the fly for me. Yeah. Same with me. And, but, but it's, but I love it. And like, I, and I couldn't agree more that I was that, that human element of it. You know what I mean? Like the guy who, you know, like, a great story. And it's, it's not my own by any means. It's been told a bunch, right? But like you go into a famous Italian restaurant here in Manhattan and who's the guy, you know, cooking the best, you know, Cacio Pepe ever had. It's a guy from Oaxaca who's, you know, hasn't seen his family in four years because he's here cooking and working his ass off and sending money. Like that's the story. I don't give a shit about the pasta. You know, like that's the story. That's the, that's the, that's the thing I want to tell. That's the video I want to make, you know? And with your making it and uh, kind of educational type videos, you're somewhat of a teacher. So who, like in your career of cooking, who did you really admire or look up to as far as like being a teacher? Like whose uh, content, whose videos, whose books were you reading? Who did you learn from? Like were there people you really enjoyed learning uh, cooking and food related stuff from? Um, I mean, not to say his name a ton, but like, Bourdain. I mean, I feel like I'm me and a, you know, and 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 fifty million other people. Like bef way before I was in to food or before I went to culinary school. Like man, that was the show. Like he he got it. He had there was, I mean, rest in peace. But you could almost see the suffrage in him a little. You know what I mean? He was he was a little bit of a tortured man, but he got into it and did things in the way that I would 
I would want to travel with him, not Guy Fiera. You know what I'm saying? Like he was a little bit more real, a little bit more grit to it. You know, he just, yeah, he just, he got it. And he, and not to mention an amazing speaker. He had a great voice and, and, but yeah, I really dug, I really dug Bourdain. And oddly enough, I was an inspiration. Like when I first, right before, right when I first got the job at Bon Appetit, I remember watching Matty Matheson on Vice and he had a show. I forget what it was before he was out on his own. He was doing something on Vice and whatever it was called. But, uh, I was like, damn, man, this guy's having a blast. He's traveling all over the place. He's doing cool stuff. He gets it. I like, I like Maddie's show. And then, you know, Turing will die all a couple of years. I it was, I was hanging out with him and, and shooting some videos with him and stuff. And some uh, of those are ridiculous. Like the, the fishing videos with hit, like you guys seem to be kind of cut from the same cloth there a little bit. I think he can outdo you in the, you know, entertainment video section. We had a lot of similarities, but also very different. You know, like I was more comfortable in the water and, you know, with creatures. Matty was a city boy, you know, so like, and he'd be the first one to tell you. Um, so that was a fun dynamic. I mean, that was, I think we'll do some more stuff together, hopefully. I mean, I know he's he's doing his own thing nowadays and, 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 and killing it. He'll tell you the same thing. I think it's the most requested video for us to do again. I I I'm, or commented on, or, you know, uh, hey, when you got to do another thing with Maddie, and it, it, he says, you know, people say the same thing to him too, that. So hopefully in the future, we'll be able to make a series or do something together in that world. I already have a title for it and a bunch of ideas. We just need someone to pay for it. <laughs> Maybe a guest appearance on The Bear, even like you're an assistant uh, dishwasher like repairman or something, you know, like just uh, I'm putting it out in the universe. We're going to manifest Thank that. Thank you. I I agree. I, I couldn't agree more, and I'm a I'm a big fan of, of of visualizing and and putting things out there. And and maybe I'm a perfect example of it. On paper, I shouldn't I shouldn't even be talking to you. You know, I should be swinging a hammer and married to some girl that I didn't want to marry. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I, on paper, my life should have probably went a much different route. So yeah, I'm a big fan of positive energy and putting things out there. And at the end of the day, just be a nice person. Be someone that people want to work with. You know, I always tell people, ask me, Brad, you know, you got advice for I'm trying to get into, you know, the food space or I want to like, work in test kitchens or something like that. I was like, I am not the best cook. I am not the best writer. I am not the best anything, but people like to hang, people like to work with me. I wasn't, I wasn't a dick. I wasn't an asshole, you know? And like, I remember a chef one time told me when I'm looking for someone to, cook in my restaurant i don't i don't need someone who thinks they're the best chef i don't need someone who knows how to cook everything i need someone who isn't an asshole i need someone that can that listens and that isn't you know that i can't i can teach you how to make a vinegar i can teach you everything in this in this restaurant that you need i can't teach you how to be a, a pleasant person a hundred and that really stuck with me I, um, you know, we would sometimes have people come in and stage isn't the word, but like maybe do like a one day or even a couple hour trial when I was at a place and I almost wasn't even looking at the food they were cooking. It was like, how did they interact in the kitchen? Cause we'd have them do it, you know, during like prep time. It's like if a cook walked by with their hands full and was trying to get in the walk-in, like, did you go over and grab the door and open it for them? Just kind of things 100%. like that, as opposed to like how you were making that food, because I want to see how you're going to gel with the team. And if you're like putting your food, like, oh, I got to get this dish right for the chef. And you don't give a F about anyone else in the kitchen. Like that's a sign that it's not going to work out long time, long term. I, I couldn't agree more, Chris. Um, I think it's crucial. And I think that 
no matter what field you're in. I think that is uh, something that is uh, you could certainly just apply. If you weren't working in food and food media, what would you be doing? Do you have any other passions that you could see yourself doing? I'd probably be excelling as floor manager at a Home Depot. Nothing wrong with that. You probably get a mad hey, discount. Damn right, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> you probably no, get paid I mean, more. You probably get paid more than working in the food space. I should maybe go pick up at least a part time. No, job you're there. probably right, man. You know, I'd probably do well. I'd probably work the ladder up and become an executive. I'd probably be a millionaire. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. Um, I guess uh, I'll hard answer a question because uh, hard answer the hard question to answer because um, it's truly unknown, right? I mean. Uh, I've always had a job, never had a problem getting a job. Um, this one just happens to be the best one I've had. So, you know, one thing my dad told me that always stuck with me too was like, and this is always in the back of my head because my whole time since I started this video stuff was like kind of pinching myself. Like this is, this, this is going to turn off any, any say like this can't, we can't really, this really can't be happening. Right. Like, so one thing my dad told me that always stuck with me was like, don't ever think you're above any job. And again, I'm sure there's some flaws in that statement. And there's certain things I, you know, but like the principle of it is like, don't ever think you're better than the guy or the person who's working at McDonald's or the person who's working at Home Depot. So yeah, I mean, what job would I have? I don't know. I don't care. You know, I'll figure that out when I need to. I don't know if you read the comments. Um, I read the comments. I read the comments about my stuff, but I was actually reading the comments about your stuff. And people were clearly so excited to have you back. Just as I was watching your videos in preparation for this, all the comments are like, glad to see he's back. I would, you know, make anything he would make. It, it must be great. And I don't know if you've seen these, but people just seem like, wow, he, you know, wasn't making videos for a little bit. He's back now. And they seem super excited to have you back making videos. And thank God, right? Uh, because I did have a bit of a break shooting video. You know, I was under contract with Bon Appetit for a few years. And in the last, in the past, in the last two years with them, we weren't really making that much content. And like, I get it. Like they didn't really, they were doing their own thing or whatever. And like, but I was in a locked up car. Like I couldn't go make a video with you. Or right? I mean, it was like a non-compete type contract. thing. Yeah, hundred percent exclusivity when it came to uh, video hosting stuff like that with with them, which was fine. I was very happy to do that. But when we stopped making, listen, I'm not Brad Pitt or George Clooney. I can't just you know take two years off. The world does not give a shit about me. You know what I mean? And there's plenty of better people and more talented people that are going to be putting out new stuff on YouTube. And like, if I don't stay on it, like, and again, this is just my inner heart talking, and, and certainly plenty of truth to it but you know that was m my inner clock was like brad I, you gotta you you need to be working the hardest right now you're on the the fence you can either be forgotten in a year or you can go up and become something really good you know and that's where we're at i'm trying to uh to take it to a to the level i want to get at you know and be able to um tell the stories and and work with brands and people that uh that get it man and there's plenty of brands that do that want to work together and and tell these stories because I do think positive storytelling and human element embedded into food is it has to it can't all just be cooking competition shows right like board aim left and like there's a big void you know there's a lot of shows that are doing certain things and and not that there aren't good travel shows but like 
I don't know, like none of them are really doing it for me. I don't need to see, I know offense, Gordon, if you're listening, but I don't really need to see another Gordon Ramsay video where he's going to Africa and, and making some grain with, I, I don't give a shit anymore, Gordon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't drag on Gordon. I think he's, uh, he's doing a great job and hell, I mean, he's um a pioneer in that space, but uh, the point taken, plug in any name, you know what I mean? Like it's just something that, um, that I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of. And you talked about uh, working with brands and, and clearly needing money. Um, you know, I th- like you clearly, I'm assuming, are working with Yeti, right? Like you've used them in your videos and you even have the hilarious, almost like infomercial style with their stuff, which I, you know, it's refreshing because in this day and age where everyone's a influencer and it's like, are, are they promoting this product because they love it or because they're getting paid? It's nice to just like be out there. It's not a subtle cup on the side of your desk. It's like, we're just going to put this right in your face. I love this stuff. This is how I'm going to use it. Go nuts. Yeah. I yeah. Again, we got a really fun team. That's really, we're, we're trying to do, you know, it's YouTube. So you got to take some risks. You got to try things out, have some fun with it. You know, what I've got some really good advice from folks that understand YouTube a lot more than me. Thank you, Epic Ian, if you're listening. But, um, you know, you got to be able to try different things. It's not like you don't, I try not to look at it like, all right, we have a show, we got to make a year's worth of content. And no, we got to be able to adapt and grow and evolve as we go. Because if you don't, then if I don't, then it's, it's not, that's not it. How many videos have you already shot both for both of your shows? Do you have a lot already like recorded, done and are getting ready to release? Yeah, so we probably have about 15, 20 episodes shot. Shooting them is it's it, at that point it's the editing, man. Editing is the is the hard it's not, you know, it's it's one of the hard parts, but it's that's the time consumer, right? That's the uh otherwise we could put out a video every other day, you know, if so like challenge that's the challenge. But like it's a tricky balance, right? Like me just being in a studio talking to a camera like a crazy person, you know, hey, to your point before, oh, that is fun, but that's only going to be fun for so many people. So like being able to turn it into a little bit of a show where there's some information that, you know, maybe maybe I didn't get out with my mouth that we could put on the screen or or just have some fun with it. You know, keep it where to where it's it's fun to watch, but you're also hopefully walking away inspired. You're not really you might get a recipe. These new videos we kind of because there's no written out recipe in these, right? So like, but what we're doing is like in the video, sometimes it'll be in the middle of it or at the end, we'll have a card. It'll have a, like a hold frame come up where we'll have all the ingredients and like the measurements if it was applicable in that in that thing. So where people could like screen grab it or pause it and write it down, uh, which I think is cool because we never did that in, in, uh, in It's Alive. <laughs> I mean, the editing is always the hardest part, in my opinion. So lastly, how would you describe the Bradleone brand in three words? Ooh. <laughs> well, I'll steal it from bad brains and we'll just go positive mental attitude. Nice. I like that. It, it was almost like you had that on the tip of your tongue. And to our listeners, I did not prep him for this. So he's just that good. That's right. PMA for life, baby. If you don't know bad brains, check him out. Really awesome, man. I'm, uh, I live in the DC-ish area. So, you know, uh, I'm not from here, but like they're, they're pretty loved around here. I bet. I bet. DC is a kind of a hotbed for, for music, man, especially in that time frame. 
It is. I love it. Like I'm about an hour outside of the city, but my favorite thing and the thing I missed most, uh, maybe besides dining out during the early days of COVID was like going to live music. So I'm hitting it pretty hard this summer. Like I'm back out there going to shows, uh, you know, ideally if I could go at least once a week, I would. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. That's one thing I miss about living in the city too. A was the accessibility of great takeout and food, but then just like, yeah, that, that culture. Do you have any final words for your fans, your viewers, our listeners today? Anything you want to leave people with? No, just thank you. Keep being beautiful and awesome. And if you want, check out my YouTube page. It's YouTube uh, slash Brad Leone. Just, just Google Brad Leone, L-E-O-N-E, and you'll go down a rabbit hole of really fun uh, videos and time that you'll never get back. I put a ton of stuff in the show notes, so I always link out to YouTube's social medias. We didn't even get into it, but you have a book that came out a couple of years ago. People will be able to find that. I'll oh, make awesome. sure if they don't already know you, they'll be able to find you. But I'm pretty sure most of my listeners will know who you are. Well, heck yeah. Well, well Chris, thank you so much, man. It was, um, it was a joy chatting with you and getting to meet you, even though it was on, a, on, a, on a, a video screen here. If you're ever up in the New England area again, feel free to swing through. We'll make a, we'll make a making it video together. I would love that. It was a blast and uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, until next time. Yeah, until next time. And to all of our listeners, this has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week. You're still here? The podcast's over. If you are indeed still here, thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. I'd love to direct you to one place and that's chefswithoutrestaurants.org. From there, you'll be able to join our email newsletter, get connected in our free Facebook group, and join our personal chef, catering, and food truck database so I can help get you more job leads. And you'll also find a link to our sponsor page where you'll find products and services I love. You pay nothing additional to use these links, but I may get a small commission, which helps keep the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast and organization running. You might even get a discount for using some of these links. As always, you can reach out to me on Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants or send me an email at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.